Bro, I'm I'm biased. Hold on, I'm biased, but I spit nothing but facts. Rob Gronkowski, tight end one overall upside. Are you serious? Are you he serious? He has Denzel fucking names. That's that's why. all I gotta Are say. Done. Are yeah. you serious? I wholeheartedly do not agree with any of your rankings. Butterfingers are just the worst candy bar in, in existence. All right, what? you have you have Snickers. Overrated. That's disrespectful. Maybe I shouldn't say he's not good, but I am going to say that he is not good. Not good. He's just not good. Uh, that, that's the best I can do. He's not good. No, it's not a hot take. Um, it's a bad take, but it's not a hot take. You told me to retire the nickname Godius. Eight months. I was already on the Darius Slayton train. I had him in every single league. I knew this kid was going to be something. I still thought and think Trubisky will end up being better than Watson. Yes, I think he's a good player. <laughs> this boy Trubisky is trash. <laughs> Wait, so hold on, hold on. You guys don't like any other players in the NFL. Why can't I like Trubisky? You can, but it's also the fact that you like Allen Robinson, Khalil Mack, Tariq Cohen, <laughs> Trey Burton, uh, Adrian Amos, Kyle Fuller. Alright, alright, hold on. The Bears, on. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Ben, you're my boy. I'm, I, I really f*** with you. But like, yeah, you're an idiot. The great C.J. Anderson, Shut your a much better running mouth. back. He is you so might as well bad. Just give your money to us because you're part of the rake, and you're you, you ever seen that gif with the dude throwing the money in the fire, the little cartoon guy? Yeah, that's what you're doing. If Camara doesn't snap, I will sell my firstborn child. If Yikes. Juju doesn't ball out in this game, I'm gonna have to sell my left nut because I'm betting the house on this. Dude. Why not? <laughs> Let me know. Get back. 1259, eyes open, send a prayer to the big man upstairs, turn on red zone, let God do his work. Seven and a half hours later, bank. And that's all Don't it takes. Don't you talk about my son, Traquan. Uh, Traquan's not a scrub. He's pretty good. Trayway. You know what the groin is? It's your leg. The it's, groin it's, is your leg. It's part of your leg. <laughs> It's part of your oh, leg. Okay, that's funny. It's not okay. actually your leg. I don't know, like people do this or not, but I use my phone in the shower. <laughs> like, what's wrong about that? Like, I'm playing music. Okay. And I might be surfing the web. Like, I'm not doing none of that dirty stuff because I don't feel like the shower is really the place for me to do it. Mm -hmm. But like, I'll go on Twitter, you know, or Facebook or Instagram mm -hmm. in the shower have my back in the water and then you know i'm holding my holding my arm out so my phone doesn't get wet obviously you can't use a wet phone so you got the arm out the shower like outside of the curtain entirely out of the water okay. in the shower okay yeah what's the problem uh, i can't imagine like being desperate to see like what's going on on twitter for you know the shower is a place to reflect and like being be in peace right and you are bringing it up you on your discord you know you're on twitch you know watching animal crossing or something while you're butt ass naked shampooing <laughs> your hair is crazy to me hey man we all have you know some some stuff that we do personally so. yeah all right bro <laughs> you heard that that's the champagne popping bro Episode 100 of the DFS Dose podcast. We made it. Yo, that, that's that's a great clip. 
That's some funny stuff right there. Jared is still wild for that Trubisky take. I don't know what he was thinking with that. That had me (laughs) dying laughing. But yeah, 100 episodes. You know, we finally made it. It's been a long time coming. And I feel like over the last couple of years, we've had our ups and downs. But I feel like we're we're on the up right now, climbing up the mountain, reaching the top. And we're not going to stop until we get there. So... 100 more episodes incoming. Be ready. Absolutely, man. I, I'm I'm thankful for the podcast. Gave me a lot to focus on, a lot to work on. You know, improvement in DFS breeds improvement in life, I feel like, because it teaches you a lot about accountability, how to think through different problems and come up with solutions. So yeah, and, and having you and Jared, and it's been helpful. So shout out to the podcast. And man, I, I'm just listening to those clips and putting all that together, going through some of the old stuff. Just great stuff, man. I I love some of those moments. Yeah, definitely some great moments across the last 100 episodes, but I think there's going to be some even greater moments in in the future episodes, especially uh, in the off-season when we have some more guests on and and we do some interviews. That's going to be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it for sure. And it's only fitting that on the 100th episode, we get to recap one of the craziest slates that I've ever been a part of in DFS. Let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 100 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, We're going to recap one of the craziest weeks of NFL DFS that we've ever seen. We're going to go over our results, review some of the key decision points from the slate, and discuss a few of the interesting stats that we saw come out of the week. But before we do any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how to support the podcast? As always, if you want to support the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet all of the links to all of our content out. So make sure you're following us over there. And then if you're listening to this on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, make sure you are either following or subscribed to the podcast. So it should be a button right down below the episode or the name of the podcast, I should say. Make sure you are subscribed or follow to help us out a lot. And then you can also subscribe to us on YouTube at the DFS Dose. We're about to hit triple digits over there. We're currently at 89 subscribers. So if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed, make sure you go over on your YouTube app, search us up, go subscribe, help us hit that 100 subscriber mark, especially since this is our 100th episode. I think we deserve that to say the least. I would say so. And Joey, we can't dilly-dally any more than we already have because, man, this was an insane slate. And we're going to start off with the highest owned cash plays that frankly turned out to be the best plays on the slate, as we will soon discuss. And the ownership this week especially in the double ups, was a little less consolidated than I thought. It was consolidated around a few specific players, but there were so many good plays that the ownership actually got spread around on some guys that I thought were going to come in a little bit higher owned. But in terms of ownership, we're going to look at the $25 massive single entry double up on DraftKings. Alvin Kamara, unsurprisingly, the highest owned player at 81%. Jamal Williams, 64.8%. Giovanni Bernard, 51.2%. And the only other running back that drew major ownership was Kareem Hunt at 30%. Quarterback, Kyler Murray, 52.7%, unsurprisingly. 
And then at wide receiver, it was Terry McLaurin at 55, Devontae Adams at 39.1, and tight end was pretty much a wash. Travis Kelsey was 24.3%, and then a bunch of other guys had some ownership, Hunter Henry, and then some of the wide receivers like Galladay, Traquan Smith, Keenan Allen, they were chalky, like semi-chalk, 23 to 27%, but it was spread out between them. Joey, how did you do on the week? Yeah, so I booked a third straight win, so that is always nice, especially when you lose three in a row, and then you peel off three straight wins after those three straight L's. Uh, My lineup scored 201 points exactly. I cashed in all but one double up, and then in my head-to-heads, I went 50 and 25, so I played 75, lost 25 of those. So pretty solid week. Uh, I had some decent tournament teams, but nothing too crazy as I wasn't on the right uh, stacks or right pieces, I should say. You know what? I profited a hundred or so dollars and I, and I can't complain, especially when you don't play Devontae Adams and he goes off for 45 and you have one share of Tyler Lockett and he goes off for 50 plus. So yeah, some absolutely insane performances this week in terms of my cash game results put up 199.4. I guess I just got scooped by every shark in the business because even though I had 199, I only won 37.5% of my head-to-heads, cashed in 11 out of 12 double-ups. And you hear it in my results, you hear it in Joey's results. We put up Mm -hmm. over 199 points each, and that wasn't good enough to cash in every single double-up. So that tells you what kind of week we just witnessed. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think that goes to show like just in terms of game selection as well i know that if you take the time and and figure out you know what games are the best to play in uh you could profit on the week even with you know a point differential between us like the win rates are you know exponentially different so uh, i i would say that you got unlucky with your contest but just in the grand scheme of things, game selection is pretty important when playing DFS. It's just as important as building lineups. In a week like this, I think it's hard to nail that down. A lot of people this week had their cash lineups be the highest scoring lineup that they had because the chalk smashed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, my cash lineup was the highest scoring lineup that I had. And this was just a clear cut chalk week. Absolutely smashed. Literally every player that was more than I would say 30 or 40% owned went off for 20 plus points, which was crazy to see. Um, just an incredible week. And this is probably the highest cash line that I've ever seen, like scoring 201 and, and Ben scored 199 and we didn't cash in one double up where that crazy. cash line and that, and that double up was like 204 or 205. I've never seen that before in years of playing DFS, even back when I was playing just casually. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing I can remember was last year, the Will Fuller chalk week when he went for 50 points, but we were even talking about it. It's like that was probably like a 180 cash line, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So to to see a cash line in a single entry double up be over 200 is just mind boggling. But let's get into some of the decision points and the process that led to this insanely high scoring week. And I think that the main decision point on this slate was which of the two fairly obvious roster constructions you were going to run out there and cash because I think that there were two clear-cut obvious roster constructions the first was one where you played both Jamal Williams and Gio Bernard with Alvin Kamara and then you used the savings that you were using by not playing Kareem Hunt to get up to Devontae Adams 
and you were perhaps playing a mid-range wide receiver or going up to Kelsey. I think the other obvious roster construction and the one that both you and I ran was one where you played only one of uh, Jamal Williams or Gio Bernard, and then you most likely sat in the mid-range of wide receivers, guys like uh, Galladay, guys like Keenan Allen, guys like Tyler Lockett in some cases, over paying up to Devontae Adams. And it turns out that the Devontae Adams build was the correct build this week. It was definitely correct, uh, especially when Devontae goes off for 47 points. But just from a pre-lock process standpoint, I was fine with fading Geo when Aaron Jones got ruled out, which opened up Jamal Williams for $500 cheaper. And, you know, coming into this week, I thought that Geo wasn't as good of a play as some other people thought. I think that Geo is a washed up old scrub of a running back, and he ended up getting there on the last last drive if I'm not mistaken or the second to last drive excuse me uh with a one yard touchdown to boost his production he ended up scoring 20 points so that hurt uh Jamal was a great play in my opinion and he ended up getting 21 points with Aaron Jones out and then I mean Kareem Hunt he didn't kill you with his 19 points but when you get Geo, who has a 20, and Jamal, like I said, who has a 21, Kareem Hunt only scoring 19, definitely hurt. And, you know, we kind of got lucky that he scored uh, that receiving touchdown towards the end of the game to help get him there. I, I think from a pre-lock standpoint, I would probably go with the roster construction that we went uh, nine times out of 10 because I just didn't believe in Gio this week, but his price tag was just too cheap. I feel the same way. I don't feel bad about fading Devonte Adams and we talk about it each and every single week. The mid-range wide receivers have insane upside and the way they're being priced on DraftKings right now, it just doesn't make sense in most cases to go up for that wide receiver. Now, Devonte Adams might be a different type of animal. I mean, this guy had, what, 16 targets this week? Caught 13 for a career-high 196-2. and two. I mean, how many times is he going to do that? I would say 9 out of 10 times this slate plays. Devontae Adams puts up, you know, probably a great game, a good game, especially with Aaron Jones out. Maybe we should have anticipated more targets going his way like they did. I guess I didn't weigh that heavily enough. I was more so just focused on, you know, how to handle Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon with Jones out, not focused on Adams' target share. But still, I mean, most of the time he's going for, what, 30? You know, Mm -hmm. 35 as a great game, not 47.6. And I think in general, our roster construction worked. You know, Kenny Galladay got there over 20. Keenan Allen got there over 25. Some people were on Tyler Lockett. He came in lower owned in cash than I thought he'd be, only like, seven or eight percent depending on the double up you're in i was expecting him to be in the 15 to 20 percent range terry mclaurin got there at 5.8 k up to 22 so if Devonte adams doesn't bury you with a career game i think that the lineup construction works even better but yeah i mean there's nothing you can do when a player hits the absolute tippy top of the ceiling and a guy like Devonte adams it's not like a crazy outcome he's that talented and the matchup was good yeah i definitely agree but like you said the construction in my opinion was the right construction especially when you get 
great target shares uh, with these mid-price wide receivers each and every week. Terry McLaurin had 11 targets. Keenan Allen had 13 targets. Those were two wide receivers not above 6,200. Um, Tyler Lockett ended up getting 20 targets in that matchup, and he was only 6,600. Kenny Galladay only had, what, like eight targets in the, in this matchup, seven targets? Mm-hmm. But you can still get these great target shares with these mid-range wide receivers instead of paying up for a wide receiver almost 8K who also has a great target share obviously like you said he hit his ceiling uh he hit the 99th percentile outcome but for this week and in future weeks i'm always going to you know take those great target shares in the mid-range and get more upside on the rest of my roster especially uh with the running back position i agree and part of the reason that i was very comfortable going in that direction is because i like you got off of geo when jamal williams opened up and jamal williams dominated touches for the packers and just from a pre-lock process standpoint jamal williams was the clear-cut better play i mean both of them had relatively shaky workloads in terms of projections like it was hard to imagine how the Bengals would use their other backs and Samaj P. Ryan was in there for a certain amount of snaps. There were quotes ahead of the game about A.J. Dillon and him stepping up, so we didn't know. But to me, it just came down to the fact that Jamal Williams was already playing 40% of the snaps or more in Packers games. So I feel like he was comfortable. He was a receiving back and the total was almost seven points higher for the Packers. Now Gio got there and the Bengals game completely shot out. So, you know, that helped Gio get there. I mean, everything broke right for basically every piece of chalk, but the the moral of the story, in my opinion, is that we made the right decisions and, you know, you can't help when outcomes get insane. But I feel really good about the process this week. Yeah, I definitely feel very good about the process as well. But there was one other roster construction yeah. that was popular, and that was paying up for Kelsey. Uh, if the listeners know anything about us, we're hashtag never pay up never. at tight end. Uh, you ended up playing David Njoku. I played Harrison Bryant for $500 cheaper. Both had relatively good games for their price tag, Njoku at 10 points. Harrison Bryant had 21 points, um, and Kelsey ended up only getting 6 points. And that build also had Trey Quan. No, I will will say that specific roster construction did score more than ours by six points. But how do you feel about that build? And do you think it was right or wrong for people to go there? Although it did work out in their favor this week. That build had Adams too, though, right? It, it did. The build had Adams, but instead of playing a third mid range wide receiver, they went cheap with Trey Quan as a wide receiver three and paid up to Kelsey at 6,300. Yeah. So, I mean, in my opinion, that lineup construction was well below the other two in terms of whether or not it was good. I know a lot of sharp people were on it and hearing their thoughts on it made me think about it, but I just couldn't justify the idea of paying up for Kelsey. Now, Njoku was thin, razor thin, and I knew that. And Bryant, I think, was equally thin. They were they were both extremely mm-hmm. thin plays, but the thing is, is every week these tight ends are thin plays, right? That That's the point, is that it's okay. Even guys like Kelsey, as great as he is, best tight end in the NFL, he can still bust. And Kelsey especially, it's not like the spot was amazing. It's not like this game was going to be a a shootout. It was projected to be a blowout. It was a blowout. And there were weather concerns. The total had been steadily dropping all week. I, I was very comfortable full fading that entire game. 
and that game environment. So to me, prioritizing getting up to Kelsey and Cash was a clear-cut mistake, and I never seriously considered it. Yeah, I never considered it as well. I just wanted to bring it up because, like you said, sharp people in the DFS industry were on that specific build. And like I said, it did work out. But unless it's some serious circumstances, I will most likely never pay up uh over six thousand for a tight end in cash games on DraftKings. it's just not worth it the tight end position is just so bad that like you said you can make those thin plays and your cash lineup still be golden so just wanted to hear your thoughts on on that build yeah and the opportunity cost at tight end is always going to be lower I feel like, I mean, you know, most weeks you're not going to have two running backs, 4.5K and under that are viable to score 20 points in cash. So, you know, usually by playing a cheap, thin running back, you're really removing yourself from some of the best cash plays, which tend to be expensive running backs. So there's opportunity cost. And we see the ceilings with the mid range to high range wide receivers, opportunity cost and punting at wide receiver, punting at tight end. No opportunity cost because the entire field is likely to bust in a given week. And it's very easy to, you know, smash that price tag too when you're in the 3K range, the 2.5K range, and Harrison Bryant puts up 20 plus. You're, you're sailing, absolutely yep. sailing to the money. $2,500 tight end finished as the tight end one on this week, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, so far. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we still have a game to go today, but he's looking like. He's going to be the tight end one, and he was the stone minimum on DraftKings. So I was comfortable with playing Harrison Bryant this week, and you know, it worked out. 21 points for him. And if the tight end whisperer is on it on National Tight End Day, I should have just ran the same thing, honestly. I was kind of bugging <laughs> for that. Yeah, that's what they call me, tight end whisperer. I just I just know these tight ends, and Logan Thomas had a good game, too. Yeah, I was just about to say, Logan Thomas is coming around. Good time to be alive. Let's get into our interesting stats of the week, and there are many of them this week, but there's no place that we can start besides Tyler Lockett. I mean, Joey, 20 targets, 15 for 203, 56 DraftKings points. I can't even believe what I just saw. Yeah, I'm kind of mad at myself for not playing more Tyler Lockett. I played him in the Millie Maker, which was lit, but obviously didn't win it. I mean, that would have been dope to win it on the 100th episode, but nope. But yeah, I'm just mad at myself. He had an absolute monster game. He was only 6,600 this week. And, and Russ was just looking to feed Tyler Lockett in this matchup. Um, the Cardinals before this game, specifically Patrick Peterson, literally told the media, we're going to focus on stopping DK Metcalf. We're going to focus on stopping DK Metcalf. What they do, they stopped DK Metcalf. Patrick Peterson locked him up. But you know what that meant? Tyler Lockett has a career day going off for 200 yards and putting up 56 DraftKings points. I think that's the most DK points I've seen put up in in the last two or three years besides that Will Fuller game. But I think Will Fuller did score less than him last year. So I think it's the most points a wide receivers put up since the Calvin Johnson game where he put up like 60 and caught 300 yards against the Cowboys. (laughs) Yeah, that was a crazy game. But yeah, Tyler Lockett absolutely snapped and you know, just having that game on Sunday night football. I mean, I wasn't a fan of keeping it on the slate, but it was it was enjoyable. So it was. It was a great game to see in prime time. I'm glad it didn't get lost in the shuffle. I'd also be remiss. I mean, in the intro, you heard some clips of the the great voice of Jared Marcus, our our fellow you know former DFS Dose co-host, and he was all over this Tyler Lockett. Should have listened to him. He was 
pleading with us last night at like 2 a.m. saying, you know, lock it over Galladay, lock it over Keen, and I just dismissed him. But, I mean, it was the stone nuts. Should Yeah, should have listened to him, but Galladay and Keenan ended up working out as they both scored 20-plus, but obviously... When Lockett puts up a career day, hits a 99th percentile outcome, you know, you're just not going to be able to beat that. So shout out to Tyler Lockett. Uh, I still think he is overrated by the field. Hot take. Mm. Um, overrated I think he's after a, good, a 200 yard game. <laughs> he's a good wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. But these people out in the industry act like he's top five and he's not. But I like I said, I think he's a good wide receiver. I might agree with you on any other week, but I can't disparage this man's name after what he just did. I just can't do it. Even still, catching the two hundred yards on fifteen receptions was not the most impressive part of that game. Watching DK Metcalf run ninety miles an hour at Buddha Baker's head <laughs> down, dude, I've never seen anything that impressive. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I had to rewind that like five times. That was a crazy clip. The thing is, is like Buddha Baker had a running start because he jumped the route he read it the whole way russ didn't see him or didn't expect him to get there that fast and if you look at the beginning of the clip this dude metcalf was standing still (laughs) at the one yard line like he was he had no momentum nothing he wasn't moving or anything he was literally standing there he saw it this man turned on the turbo (laughs) my guy he turned on the turbo just ran through the entire defense and hawked this man down like a golden (laughs) eagle. Come on, bro. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing speculation that he's just like, he's a cyborg and Pete Carroll just activated the controls on the sideline. And I believe (laughs) it after seeing that. Unbelievable. Inhuman. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, freak of nature, athletic monster. So uh, I'm just mad that the Patriots uh, passed up on him. So Uh, I, I think every team in the league could say the same. And another player who most teams, all teams, passed up on at one point is James Robinson who undeniably to this point, Joey, has been the most productive rookie running back of 2020. This week he had his breakout game, his biggest game of his young career, went 22 attempts for 111 yards and a touchdown with three receptions for 18 and another touchdown, 34.7 DraftKings points. Is Robinson the real deal? He's doing this on a relatively terrible offense, and he's still producing at an elite level. Yeah, I mean, they're making it a point to get Robinson the ball, and I don't know if he's the real deal. He he definitely looks good, and he is a very physical running back and does provide the Jaguars some toughness in the backfield. And I, and I think it just goes to show that NFL GMs need to start listening to some Twitter analysts and never draft a running back in the first round. Never do it. James Robinson is probably, like you said, is probably the best rookie running back right now and wasn't even drafted. He was passed on by every single team in the draft. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire went above him, DeAndre Swift, uh, JK Dobbins, and some other dudes, and, and he's outproducing them because he has the opportunity and that just goes to show I think you could plug a majority of these running backs into offenses and if you give them the chance most of them are going to succeed uh, and running backs are the most replaceable position in my opinion and he's just a prime example of why you should never draft one high and you should never 
pay extreme money to a running back unless you are a CMC or Alvin Camaro, where you can be featured in the passing game as a wide receiver one. Robinson isn't featured per se as a wide receiver one, but he is steady producing in the passing game as well, which I think is part of the reason he's been so productive in fantasy. But my take with Robinson is twofold. On one hand, I think that it's almost scheme-based. Say what you will about Doug Marone and this Jags team, but they were also able to make Leonard Fournette be one of the most fantasy productive running backs. What was he, like RB7 last year? And James Robinson is doing it. And that team was bad. This team is bad. But it doesn't matter because these running backs are working out. So maybe it's scheme-based. But also, and almost contradictory, it's like in the past, this is the type of guy that I would completely dismiss. And then I would potentially hold on to that bias for years, i.e. Chris Carson, a guy who, you know, I just never gave any respect to. He was undrafted and I just weighted that so heavily that like completely unproven and unproducing players would come in like Rashad Penny. Just based off that, I would completely dismiss what Chris Carson did. What, three, four years later, Chris Carson is still producing at an RB1 level. He got hurt tonight, but besides that, RB1 level. So maybe I just need to, you know, fix that in my process and be all aboard the James Robinson train. I don't know. It's tough because he obviously has no competition for touches in the backfield right now. Chris Thompson is not what people were making him out to be in the offseason. Devin Ozigbo is back, and then Raquel Armstead is out for the season because of COVID. So, I mean, like I said, the opportunity is there for James Robinson, and we'll see if the Jags uh, add somebody to the backfield for next year. But if he keeps on producing the way he is, I think he can lock up the starting job moving forward. Um, he's a great dynasty buy, in my opinion. And yeah, it, like like you said, just because a team drafts a running back, that doesn't mean they're going to automatically become the starter over the current starter that the team might have in the moment right now. Perfect example was the Seahawks drafting Rashad Penny in the first round and Chris Carson in the seventh round, you know, the year before. But when the seventh rounder is a better player, he's a better running back, he's a better fit for the scheme, you're not going to force the first rounder in just to prove that he was the right pick there. You're going to play the better player at the end of the day. And that's what everybody has to realize. So we could talk about this for an hour because I would say that it's also a team by team thing. And like Pete Carroll's job security is a reason that he can do stuff like that. If you're a coach that's on the hot seat with like a GM that's on the hot seat, they're going to make you play the shaky young player to like validate their job and validate their drafting. But like, we don't need to talk about this for an hour. It's, it's messy. But the point is, James Robinson, I think he's the real deal and I'm all about it. While we are on the subject of productive rookies, I think we have to talk about Justin Herbert, who is absolutely blowing the league away five starts in. And I bring it up, Joey, I think that this is an opportunity where we just don't let another Josh Allen situation develop on the Uh podcast. You know, 100th episode, we're reflecting on the past. It took you about two years to come around on Josh Allen. Let's not let that happen with Justin Herbert. He is the current favorite on all sports books for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Is it time to admit that your take that he was pure garbage coming out of college was wrong and that he is, in fact, a special quarterback? Nah, if if it's one thing I've learned in the DFS community, you never roll back your takes, okay? (laughs) Double down always? (laughs) I double down. Justin Herbert is trash. Nah, I'm kidding. But let me just address the Josh Allen situation real quick. Josh Allen was a scrub, okay? 
He was a scrub his first year. He was a scrub his second year. He's in his third year now, and he's finally showing signs of improvement. He still overthrows receivers. He still makes mistakes, so it's still out on him, but he is having a great year, so I will give him that, and he has been good this season, but prior to that, trash. Um, (laughs) Justin Herbert. Now, Justin Herbert is surprising because he was god-awful in college. Terrible at Oregon. I've referenced this a couple times on the pod, but in a championship game for Oregon, the coaches did not want him throwing the ball, and that spoke volume to me, but the coaches in LA are good. Anthony Lynn is, you know, a solid head coach. Some might call him a donkey uh, here and there, but I think he's pretty solid, and he's getting the most out of Justin Herbert right now, and I just can't believe that they wanted to start Tyrod uh, over Justin Herbert. I mean, Anthony Lynn should give the doctor that punctured Tyrod's lung a raise <laughs> you know no shade I'm not trying to be that guy like Damn. you know I, I respect Tyrod um and I wish him all the best I hope he recovered from that but give the doctor a raise this dude Justin <laughs> Herbert is is winning you games and he's the real deal and I think that is uh, also why the Dolphins are going to force Tua in uh this week against the Rams so shout out to Justin Herbert and you know he, he's looked really good, so I'll, I'll roll back my take on that. All right. I don't really have a strong take because college DFS isn't legal in New York, so I don't play it, so I don't care about college football, so I never watched him at Oregon, so I don't have any priors on him. I don't care as far as I know. He is one of the greatest rookie quarterbacks that I've seen of the last five years, so I'm all aboard, but it is good to hear Joey's take on the issue. While we are on rookies that are impressive... <laughs> Denzel Mims, a.k.a. the Baylor Butcher, slicing and dicing secondaries. Everyone that he comes across came across one so far in his NFL career. And in that matchup, tied for a team lead with seven targets. In his first NFL game, seven targets. Team lead. Mm. Went four for 42. He had those numbers halfway through the second quarter. Then he got locked up or something happened. I don't know. I was barely watching that terrible game today. But the point is... Arrow is pointing up on Denzel Mims. Get him where you can. This man's an animal. Best wide receiver in the class. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Denzel Mims is, is your boy, so I don't really have a take on him. Uh, I, I leave the Denzel Mims analysis up to you. So if Ben says go trade for him, I, I, I say go trade for him then. I love Denzel Mims. I think he's just such a great contested catch specialist. He's fast. He's a physical freak. And I think that Almost in a DK Metcalf-esque way, he slipped down the draft boards and he's going to make teams pay for it. Now, he doesn't have a Russell Wilson throwing to him. He doesn't have a Pete Carroll coaching him. But Adam Gase is not long for New York State, and hopefully Denzel Mims will be the beneficiary of an improved coach potentially an improved quarterback situation. And I'm expecting a massive, uh, what's the opposite of a sophomore slump? Like a sophomore, not a breakout. Boom. Sophomore boom. Sophomore boom. That's what I'm expecting for Denzel Mims. While we're on the subject of sophomore booms, one player who is right in the middle of his is Deontay Johnson. We got to talk about this guy. I mean, Deontay Johnson today, nine receptions for 80 yards, two touchdowns on 15 targets, 29 DraftKings points. He appears to be Big Ben's wide receiver of choice, even when everybody's healthy, even when Chase Claypool has already broken out. It's still Deontay Johnson. It's still forced Deontay Johnson the ball. How do you feel about Deontay? I know you were on him this week. I ended up getting off of him, and I also wasn't that high on him anyways. You definitely weren't high on him in the preview episode when we had the Deontay Johnson discussion, and I was high on him, 
And just due to all the value, I ended up losing him in the shuffle as well. So that was also an error in my process. And I ended up playing none of Deontay Johnson, like not even in a tournament. So that was absolutely terrible. But I mean, I tweeted this. Deontay Johnson is the clear-cut wide receiver one when he's healthy, but he looks to be the new Will Fuller. This man cannot finish a game to save his life right now. He finished the first two games of the year, then he got hurt, came back, got hurt again, came back this week got hurt again, new injury every week. I don't know what this man is eating. I don't know what he's drinking or if he's working out or not, but he needs to change something up in his life because this man is made of pure glass right now. And hopefully he can come back for next week against the Ravens and, you know, be healthy for that game. Who knows? We'll see. But if he's healthy, he is the wide receiver one. And then it's looking like Juju is the wide receiver two and Claypool is the wide receiver three when they're all healthy. I don't even know anymore i feel like any opinion that i've had on this situation throughout the year has been wrong so i might just take a step back i will say that it was encouraging to see juju come away with 13 targets he had a drop in the end zone he could have had that ball honestly but still 13 targets for juju looks good it's just really interesting to see and with deontay johnson i stand by the idea that he wasn't a good cash play had him listed as a fade in my cash pool article and it's like yeah we don't predict injury and we don't usually downgrade players for concerns with injury but how do we not with the guy who has already left three out of six games with injuries it's hard to not consider it I feel like the one thing that I will change in terms of my opinion on Deontay Johnson is that when he is in there he is the wide receiver one regardless of Claypool regardless of Juju he's proven it and he's proven that Big Ben is going to go to him and that he's a focus of the Steelers offense so I will give it up on that, and from here on out, the biggest concern with him won't be target share, won't be the players on his team, it'll be his own health. I definitely agree. I think that what we should do right now, Joey, is check in on a couple of your boldest off-season stances, and they're going in opposite directions. One great and one poor. Let's start on the positive note, and this was a stance that I was firmly against, but you even heard it in our little mashup and that you believe that Rob Gronkowski was going to be a tight end one coming into the year and he is finally finding his rhythm. Yeah, Rob Gronkowski has had multiple good games in a row now, back-to-back games with eight targets, back-to-back games with five catches, 60 plus yards in both games with a touchdown. And I think him and Brady are starting to find the rhythm that they used to have uh, in this Bucks offense. Now I will say, there is a lot of competition for targets obviously in the Bucks, especially with AB going to be there soon but we know that uh, Brady likes to target Gronk where it matters in the red zone and Gronk will get weekly end zone targets he had obviously one this week where he scored a touchdown and then he could have had another one he got tackled at like the three yard line and then one also got swatted down so Gronkowski I think will definitely finish as a tight end one just due to the lack of good tight ends in the NFL this year. Yeah, and I think that I was definitely too low on him at this point. I mean, I don't regret it per se, because I'm always just going to fade these old dudes, especially if they're injury prone and coming off of retirement, but it's okay. He is producing and he looks good. That's the one thing. In the past, I didn't think he looked good, but it looks like he's starting to be back in quote unquote football shape. He he's yeah. he looks like he's being physical again. He's shaking off big hits like they're nothing. And I think that, you know, the chemistry with Brady is a real thing. How could it not be? They played for years together. They were, you know, one of the best quarterback in pass catching duos of all time. 
And yeah, it's, I guess the main question is like what you reference, it's the target share. And just watching this Bucks game today, I was even thinking to myself, how is Antonio Brown going to fit into an offense where Mike Evans is commanding targets, Chris Godwin is commanding targets, Scotty Miller probably won't be on the field with Antonio Brown there, but he was producing. He looked great today. Rob Gronkowski's out there. It's like this offense is absolutely loaded. And your take on the Antonio Brown clip that went up on our YouTube channel about the Bucks being a potential NFC Super Bowl favorite, I think it is clear cut between them and the Seahawks. And with this offense on pace to be as amazing as it is, I think it's hard to bet against the Bucks in this spot. It's definitely going to be hard to beat the Bucks uh, on a weekly basis for opposing teams. They're just loaded on both sides of the ball. They have a great defense, great pass rush, and obviously a great offense, great quarterback, and a great head coach. So yeah, Rob Gronkowski is probably going to finish as the tight and one and you know shout out to the old dudes out there he's he's gonna break the age model this year tight end one unfortunately joey and this is gonna hit you <laughs> know home for you buck success with brady and gronk unfortunately <laughs> spells dismay at home in boston for the patriots you know you and i made a bet on the podcast patriots over nine and a half wins was your stance. I took the under on that. And uh, I mean, you can PayPal me whenever you want because the Patriots are not winning 10 games this year. It's absolutely not happening. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. Definitely going to be hard to peel off eight wins, especially when you have nobody on offense that can get open. You have nobody on offense that can throw a ball right. You have nobody on the offense that can catch a ball Um. You have no good skill position players. You have no pass rush. Uh, you have no coverage linebackers. Like, so what do you have? <laughs> we have Stephon Gilmore. That's it. Yeah. Seems and, that way. And they might trade him. So, yeah, the Patriots are just, they're just god awful. I'm sorry. The Patriots are terrible. I hate to say it about my favorite team, but like when we're getting blown out by the Niners and Jeff Wilson, you know, it's time. Something has to give. We have to make a trade or, or something. We have to go and get a superstar wide receiver. Bill Belichick does not hit on offensive draft picks. Sony Michelle was a bust. Could have got Nick Chubb. Nikhil Harry's looking like a bust. He looks like an old, grown, slow-ass man out there. Could have drafted A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf with that pick. Like, something has to give. I just wish my main goal or one of my goals in life is to get in the Patriots front office and be the personnel decision maker by the time I die. And, you know, I just have no idea what Bill's doing. This team is god awful. (laughs) Um, Cam Newton has no weapons and you know, frankly, Cam Newton hasn't been good since he's came back from COVID. Lost to the Broncos, lost to the Niners. Now, I will say the Patriots could easily be four and two. So I guess that is a bright spot, but just they're just so ass. They suck. And I'm never going to be one of those people that, you know, will say that their team is so great when they're not. No, we suck. It's it's that simple. The Patriots are terrible. They probably won't win five games, and, and rightfully so. They don't deserve to win any games, honestly. And I just wish that the Patriots can get Trevor Lawrence. That is my one wish, if we can get any players, Trevor Lawrence. Going to have to ship off something to move up the draft board because I don't know if the uh, the Patriots record will cut it. I guess we'll see. Michael Gallup did not record a reception today 
in his game. Cowboys aren't doing anything with him. I mean, he, he would be a nice addition for Cam Newton. He would be a nice addition for anybody. But let's let's transition to that exact topic. I guess we can close out the show with this. It's more of a season-long topic, I suppose, because in terms of DFS, it's as simple as not playing any Cowboys. It's that easy, and I will employ that strategy personally. But my question to you is, you know, is this team too far gone with the offensive yes. line injuries? The loss of Dak Prescott, the potential loss of Andy Dalton. Is it too much for the Cowboys to overcome and follow up? Is it time to sell on players who were valuable only two weeks ago? Zeke Elliott, you and I were calling the most valuable fantasy asset in the league post-Christian McCaffrey injury. CeeDee Lamb, who looked like one of the most promising young receivers we've seen come into the league in recent years. Amari Cooper who was playing at a Devontae Adams-esque level with Dak Prescott in there. All of these players have been relegated to pure fantasy irrelevance. Is it worth buying low on them, or is this offense simply hopeless? You know, I hate to be that guy, but I think the offense is hopeless right now. If I am the owner of Zeke, Lamb, Cooper, Gallup, etc., I am looking to sell and sell fast. This offense is terrible. They've lost two of their best offensive linemen in Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins for the year. Some of their backup linemen are hurt, so they, they're literally trotting out bums on the offensive line. Andy Dalton, like you mentioned, got hurt. Dak, obviously, out for the year. Andy Dalton got his head taken off by John Bostic, which was dirty. tough to see. Dirty hit. It, it was definitely dirty, and it was crazy that none of his teammates went to, you know, at least push Bostic or, or try to fight him. Like, that just shows a lot about the Cowboys right now, the way that their team is headed. So I would look to sell all of the Cowboys skill position players. I think if it's one that you keep keep or buy low is Zeke because his volume is going to be there and it could sustain him being a solid fantasy player with his volume and his uh, receiving upside as well out of the backfield. But any other guy I'm looking to sell and looking to sell right now, like it, the Cowboys offense is, is terrible. Their defense is god awful. They just need the season to be over on honestly. I mean, on one hand, Dak Prescott, any concerns of, oh, you know, he got hurt in mid-contract negotiation, maybe this hurts him? No. If anything, his price tag just went up because this entire team died when he went away. This team was a record-setting offense, and it became complete dust the moment he left the lineup. I think Dak Prescott's going to be a very rich man 12 months from now. Um, so you're not going to trade me Derrick Henry for Zeke Elliott in our home redraft league. Definitely not. Damn. Um, damn, damn, damn. But if I'm the owner of Zeke, I think I'd target, you know, a guy like Miles Sanders or Delvin Cook if they're shipping him off from the low. I know Delvin Cook missed the game with an injury, so an owner might be willing to ship him off. Maybe like a James Conner who has a, a favorable schedule coming up and, and maybe get somebody else with him for like a two for one or you know maybe even James Robinson I hate to say it and you could definitely get another player with him in, in a deal for Zeke so those are those are some guys that I would look to target in redraft to ship off Zeke but I'm also on like the lower end like of the spectrum I'm very pessimistic on the whole Cowboys team right now you got James Conner in our league huh got James Conner Derrick Henry Miles Gaskin anybody you want might have to hit your line Later tonight, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, guys, 
I think that's it. Cheers to 100. No joke. I have drank like a good three quarters of a bottle of champagne in the last 50 minutes recording this podcast, celebrating by myself over here and what an episode it was. So shout out to the listeners. Thank you all for sticking with us. If you're new, welcome. If you're old, thank you for the support throughout the last 100 episodes. We greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, honestly. And that's going to be it. We will be back as we always are on Thursday to preview the entire week eight NFL slate on DraftKings. Like Joey said, at the top of the show, you can support the podcast by subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts. We are merely 10 subscribers away from 100 on YouTube. We will be forever grateful if you hit that sub button, videos every week, clips from the podcast, all the great content that you need in the DFS space. We supply it. And you can also follow our Twitter at the DFS Dose. My personal Twitter is at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you and any last words for the listeners if you've got them. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at Joey Carrion DFS. And you know, 100 episodes, like I said, it's only uphill from here. And we've been gaining support. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, people tweeting us, telling us uh, about, you know, the plays that they they might have played that we touted or, you know, people saying that we have good content and that we're doing a good job. So appreciate all the feedback on that. And, you know, I just hope that we can win people money. That's ultimately the goal with this podcast. And I feel like we provide a lot of good information for free. So I, th- I think we provide a lot of value at the end of the day. We do, but that's going to be it for us on the Benchmark episode 100 of the DFS Dose podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on Thursday.